Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis, and also by our horror correspondent, Brandon. Welcome back to the podcast, Brandon. Yeah, glad to be back. Let's talk films. Woo! So, of course, getting him back implies we're going to be doing a horror film today, and we are. We're doing Nia DaCosta's adaptation of Candyman, the sequel to the 90s classic. Uh, but we're also going to be looking at Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is uh, the newest Marvel um, superhero film about a kind of... So I don't want to say a martial arts-led um, kind of supernatural parallel world. It's, it's a whole it's a whole shebang. Uh, that and also we're going to look at Annette, which uh, did very well on the festival scene and has garnered a whole host of reviews um, from people absolutely hating it, people are loving it. It's one of the most divisive films that have come out recently. Uh, a musical starring Adam Driver um, and and who else, Lewis? Uh, Marion Cotillard. Yes, and Simon Helberg. Um, as well. So we're going. Yes, yes, from of uh, Big Bang Theory fame. Mm. Uh, so we're going to those. Uh, we've also got a couple little reviews, uh, mini reviews uh, from Lewis about um, Cinderella, um, which is the new one with Camille Cabello and James Corden and the like. Uh, and also um, the one of the most successful films on Netflix uh, this last few weeks, uh, which is He's All That, uh, starring Addison Rae. Um, so we get, we'll be going to Lewis will be going to those um, unsurprisingly Lewis has not watched Candyman so it'll be me and Brandon on that and Annette will be Lewis on his own we're all going to come together to talk about Shang-Chi so um, it's been two weeks since uh, we recorded because um, I was at Reading Festival so last week we had a podcast that was pre-recorded came out um, so you know it's been a while since since we actually got right down to record one, which makes you think um, I would have seen loads of things, but unfortunately, because I was at Reading, um, and because when you got back, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, got a bit of that post-concert depression. I wasn't really in the mood for films, so I've only watched a few things this week. Um, but I guess we'll start off with you, Lewis. Um, can you just tell us what films you've seen the last two weeks since you recorded, um, and also give us a little review of He's All That? Uh, yeah, I've watched quite a bit actually these past two weeks. I went to the cinema and I watched Reminiscence, which is a new uh, film with Hugh Jackman in it. And I thought it was a bit shit, to be honest. I thought the concept was really interesting. A lot of the world building was really good. It's this idea that, you know, the ice caps have melted and the world is flooded. And instead of roads, it's boats and everyone's gone nocturnal to avoid the heat. And it's a really interesting concept, but it's just so boring. And it was genuinely one of the most boring films I've seen. And then on the same day as Reminiscence, I went to see People Just Do Nothing Big in Japan, which is based on the BBC comedy show. And that was great. That was one of the best British comedies in a long time. It was really, really funny. Uh, all of the performances were great. I really, really loved it. And it was as good as the series, which is unusual, because a lot of the time when you make a TV, uh, TV show into a film... It's either, like, horrible or it barely passes. This is just as good, just as successful, and just as funny as the TV show. I'll, uh, I'll have no f- uh, slander for Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, in this uh, podcast. No comment. 
speaking of films that are based on TV shows, I also watched Paw Patrol the movie. Uh, right, okay, so let, let's get Who did you go with? I went with our former co-host, JL. That is dodgy as fuck. We, we were almost alone <laughs> in the screen. It was like the middle of the day. We really wanted to go right. and see it. So we just thought, okay, let's get it out of the way. Let's do it. <laughs> were you not worried about getting any court cases, any accusations? <laughs> two 22-year-old men sitting in the back of a... We sat, like, towards the front and away from everyone. Being parkers and binoculars. <laughs> no, it was, it was slightly yeah. weird, and we did kind of run out as soon as it ended. <laughs> but surprisingly... I remember going into... Sorry, what are you saying? Because I remember going to Detective Pikachu um, with my friend a couple of years ago when it came out in 2017. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I must have been about 16 at the time. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be so dodgy, like going to a cinema full of like kids and it's just going to be us two, like two like, sweaty, you know, teenagers. And walked in and like we were the youngest people there. It was like full of like <laughs> people that were Pokemon fans at like 25. Uh, but I don't think Paw Patrol attracted the same kind of adult audience. So yeah, you agree. Make the, uh, swing now but surprisingly it was actually quite good it was a good yeah kids film. Good things about it yeah we went to see it we really wanted to go and see it because of a headline that called it like a political thriller and it had a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes so we needed to go and see it and it was surprisingly good and then another film that we watched was a bollywood film called bell bottom which is about a true story of some plane hijackings that happened and it was quite cheesy, and it took itself too seriously. And there were some very out-of-place musical numbers, or musical numbers that felt very out-of-place in this kind of gritty action thriller film. Uh, but it was actually really, really good, and I enjoyed it a lot, and it was fun. And then another... We, we watched a lot these two days that we went. We watched Puada, which is another Bollywood film. We thought that it was a rom-com, because the description described it as a rom-com. And I suppose this is minor spoilers for Puada, so if you're looking forward to Puada and you want to go in blind, <laughs> you know, lower the volume briefly. We expected this rom-com, but after about half an hour, it it evolved into this terrorist subplot that was very strange and took us by surprise. And again, it had some very, really interesting musical numbers that were actually really well choreographed, and they were very fun and it was a comedy as well so it was very funny and it was a a huge ensemble cast and it was actually very very good and i really enjoyed it another we'll get in towards the end i promise another film that i re or rewatched this one at home was doctor strange because i watched what if and i decided to rewatch doctor strange and i thought that it had some of the most insane visuals in the mcu but other than that it's a really generic by the book film for me. I really am not a fan of Doctor Strange. Strange. It wasted Mads Mikkelsen and Rachel McAdams so much. Oh yeah, it definitely does especially um, Mads Mikkelsen it really does waste him. But once you... Uh, That is true, but I really think it is a very interesting film. I think like the expression of his power is very cool. I think the bad guy is very cool. Yeah, I I kind of, and I did prefer it to the first time that I watched it, but I still think that it is a really by-the-book average blockbuster. But the visuals... Mm. And the fighting is like next level insane with the bending cities and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really <clears throat> really good. And then 
Another thing that I watched was Sex Education. I caught up with Sex Education. I watched seasons one and two of Sex Education uh, in preparation for season three. And I've been really enjoying it. I'd heard a lot about season two. I haven't actually watched it, but I've been really enjoying it. Apart from, and you haven't seen Sex Education, so you won't understand this. But apart from Eric and Adam's romance, I hate that. Uh, Not uh, I've I've seen it. I know what you mean. It's it's um it's one of my probably least favorite tropes. Other other than that, though, I think it's a really good show. Yeah, it is. It's a great show, and I love everything about it. Apart from that. Um, it's just a really like tired trope, and mm. it's just kind of boring and like just horrible to watch. It's like Stockholm syndrome, you know, falling yeah. in love with your homophobic bully is just weird. But other than that, it's a really well acted, well written, and well made show. And it was a a lot of fun to binge watch two series of it, yeah. uh, and I really enjoyed it. I think mm. I think it's sort of a bigger shame because the show, other other than that, is so good at subverting those tropes, yeah, and stereotypes within characters <clears> and storylines, and and that one is just uh, I don't know. It feels like a it feels quite out of place given the the rest of the show, but you know it it is what it is. It, it's a good show otherwise. Mm. So mm. yeah, it's like a quite a progressive show, and then they've got that trope in the middle of it that stands out like a sore throat thumb. But yeah. I, I can kind of look past it, but those scenes are just, like, uncomfortable. And also, I don't know about you, but when I was, like, 15, 16, going to school, there weren't people, like, fucking in the bushes on my way to school. Yeah. It really overplays how much <laughs> teenagers have sex. Yeah, like, there I, are I, literally people I think having that sex sounds in like bushes. it's a massive virgin to me. <laughs> <laughs> we were fucking yeah. everywhere in our school. Fair enough. Maybe that is just me. Maybe my school was not. Secondary school fucking was normally. I only, I've never heard about it anywhere other than the disabled toilets in the Needham's block. That's what. That's what always <laughs> happened apparently. And that's all I've watched this week, apart from he's all that, which I he's all that. Okay, yeah. Well, we've also got you know Cinderella. Yeah, and Cinderella. Um, yes. So he's all that. Um, obviously, <clears throat> has attracted a lot of attention. It's the the gen gender bended remake of She's All That, which was the Amanda Bynes 90s film. Um, have you seen She's All That? No, I haven't. I went into this completely so blind. In blind. Uh, so Addison Ray, I actually only found out about half an hour ago who Addison Ray is. Uh, some <laughs> sort of TikToker. I think it's one of these, these damn social medias. I, I, in the same vein as the Jeremy Renner social media. Um, the Jeremy Renner app. So... She's a TikToker. She's made a song now. This is her first delving into acting. It's her first role. She's the main character. Some sort of rom-com kind of situation, right? So what is He's All That and how good it is? How good it is? How good is it? Well, He's All That is a film about a popular influencer played by Addison Rae. And she loses lots of followers for uh, because she's humiliated by her ex-boyfriend. And she decides that the way she's going to get back her followers is by taking the biggest loser in the school and making him into the prom queen. Uh, prom king, sorry. <clears throat> and he's all that is a, a genuine masterpiece. It's a masterclass in filmmaking. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in awe of something as much as I was with this. This is the best thing I've seen since... Parasite, maybe even better than Parasite. 
if this doesn't go all so, the way to the Oscars, so I, this I is don't better than think. Nomadland. Then you just this is, that... this is cinema, right? It's keener. <laughs> no, but on a on a serious note, it was mm-hmm. utterly shit. Was, yeah, that's what I was ready for. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was unbearably shit. Like <laughs> I genuinely, I don't even remember any. I watched it literally like four hours ago. I don't remember anyone's names, and I can barely walk you through the plot. It was unbearable. It was <laughs> awful. Please stay away I, from this film. I think I might have to watch it. it it's one of those things, though. Like, everyone hate watches it, and it is good to hate watch, but it is genuinely the, horrific. Yeah, I'm sure Netflix are so angry that millions of people are hate watching this one. They're <laughs> yeah. so annoyed that everyone's watching this. I look forward to the inevitable sequel. There, all that. Well, Kissing Booth three came out. Yeah, it did. That's true. They, well, if it, they if made a whole franchise Booth, out of that. Three. Yeah, exactly. When yeah, I want the Kissing Booth, the musical, the show, the TV. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, the fourteen things. The musical, the, the series, the, the show, the documentary. Yeah, behind exactly. the scenes. Mm-hmm. That's what I want out of He's All That. Yeah. So, is there any positives from He's All That? No, not really. <laughs> I think, well, wow. a few people have said, like, Addison Ray can't act, which she can't act, but to be honest, she's not much worse than, like, generic, straight to TV, young adult rom coms. She's not that much worse. Yeah, yeah. She's just kind of, she's passable, but right. the screenplay is horrific, so she struggles with that. Um, mm. but there really is nothing. There's a really out of place dance sequence towards the end as well, because apparently she's a dancer, so they wanted to flex her dancing abilities, mm. and uh, mm. it just felt wrong. Is she I don't know who would enjoy this. Is that because she's on TikTok? No, I think she is a a, tr- a classically that's, trained dancer. So that's standing on the spots, it's kind of TikTok dancing that they do. No, it's it? like a. It was a proper dance sequence. It was at prom, oh. and there was a dance floor, and it was all oh, choreographed. I, I thought you said there were no redeeming factors. Well, that's true. That dance yeah. sequence was quite mm. good. It was quite fun to yeah. watch. Well, don't you look? My silly. friend, my friend Amy, texted me a review of the film earlier because she told me she was watching it. She said it's cringy, but it's not offensively bad. But I did just have to pause it from cringe. Alison Ray isn't a bad actress, honestly, but the script is horrific. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. But she said it wasn't offensively bad. You kind of applied it. Oh, it is offensively bad. I disagree with that part. Mm. It is unbearable. (laughs) Okay. Um, Hopefully, (laughs) um, for entertainment's sake, Shang-Chi or uh, Annette is even worse because, you know, that'll be good content. (laughs) Okay. No one expected us to like his or that of course um we're not it's a mini review we don't know this time but if you were going to give it a rating we like what what would you be thinking probably two out of ten well that's you know you could you literally could be worse it so, could be worse you know, that's, that's true it could be worse i preferred this um, to still water you're so harsh and still i water, hated man. still water i'd rather watch you didn't really all that it. Than still water you, you, <laughs> This is the opposite of recency bias. When you first watched it, you didn't hate it that much. Yeah, I've, it is the opposite of recency bias. The more time that yeah. I've mulled with Stillwater, the more my hatred has grown for it. The longer it. since you've seen it, though. Yeah, the the longer I have... Maybe the more time has passed since I was subjected it. to it. 
well, I didn't think it was great, but but my mum did. Um, I didn't. I get, didn't get time to ask you how how are you doing, Lewis? Like, how's your week been? Or two I'm, weeks? I'm, it's been cold and lonely without me. Yeah, it's been it's been depressing. I don't know. I've not known what to do with myself without our mm. what, our weekly meetings to discuss the films of the week. Mm. But I've had quite a hectic also, week. I didn't I didn't tweet for like five days. I mean, that must be pretty pretty hard for everyone. Yeah, that was peaceful. I mean, stressful, difficult. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a stressful week, did you? It was quite a hectic week, yeah. I went to stay with my nieces for a bit to look after my nieces. I went swimming with my nieces. Um, so why didn't you wait for them to go watch Paw Patrol, you paedophile? Because I have five nieces and I'm not going to take five... I'm not going to be responsible for five children. Just pick, right, pick your favourite one. Make sure, <laughs> make sure the rest them. of them know it as well. <laughs> Rank them. Rank my nieces. Yeah. Well, I actually have six nieces, but I only have five that live in Manchester. Right, well, no, we five that I right, like. Well, that's, that's what we know is the least favourite then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck you, Steve. <laughs> nieces, okay, that's not Steve then. Well, could be. <laughs> Joanne. Fuck you, Joanne. How's your week, Brandon? How's your last couple of weeks? Well, um, without you, it was pretty warm and fuzzy uh, <laughs> all week. I felt pretty yeah. good about myself. You know, there's no one calling me stupid, mm. <laughs> criticizing yeah. everything I do and say. You've had a self-esteem fair, boost. I, we've seen your we've seen your Twitter. There's most people insult insult everything you do and say. Not for a while. <laughs> I've been pretty. Uh, been, what's your Twitter? Where you trying to give your Twitter a quick plug? I've been oh, uh, my Twitter. At very hateful guy. Yeah, well, I just, I don't want anyone to, like, if I put it on the front, then no one can be angry, I don't think. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, it's all about Brandon. Branding. Yeah, it is well, all about Brandon. I well, think branding, life is generally all about Brandon. Well, you would. Mm. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on John Joe Kenny? Oh. Uh, <laughs> do we have to, do we have to do this now? Um, Top Gun Maverick got uh, delayed this week, and <laughs> M- M- uh, Mission Impossible Seven. Um, we haven't. <laughs> All right. No, that's fine. Go on. It feels it feels like it's been a while since we talked about anything getting delayed. Um, but two things have been, and that kind of scares me. I don't know what you two think, but I have heard rumours that Spider Man Far From Home, sorry, No Way Home, is going to get delayed, and I did wow. hear that Venom Two might get delayed, which I'm not. I watched uh, Shang-Chi today, and there was a Spider-Man trailer before it. And really? It, yeah, and it said at the end, coming soon, instead of the December 17th release date. Ooh. Which, I don't know really? if that's cause for concern, but I noticed that I was concerned by the cause. Well, it is oh, kind really? of concerning these old new delays like Top Gun and Mission Impossible, because... It might just start an avalanche of loads of other delays, but having said that, having said that, Shang Chi's financial success has been very impressive. So that's kind of a reassurance that these films are going to come out on time. Because Shang Chi's broken records, not just pandemic records, it's broken the record for the highest Labor Day. I think that's the holiday that they have in America. Uh, yeah, highest Labor Day box office ever. Not just in the really? pandemic era, era, but ever, yeah. That's mad. I know. I yeah, I sort of beat 2007's the Rob Zombie remake of Halloween. I thought that was that. the previous holder of the record. Yeah, the That's Rob Zombie, film. not even the original, not even the 2018 remake. The Rob Zombie remake of Halloween. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not bothered about Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 getting delayed. If, if, if I don't have to see Tom Cruise, that's a good thing. But the idea that that, that means that they are starting to delay things again, because it feels like it's been ages since anything got delayed, right? Like, everything's yeah. getting delayed. When we first done the podcast, the first 15 episodes of the podcast, every time episode we were saying, this has been delayed, that's been delayed, the new movies yeah. has been delayed again, you know. <laughs> James Bond's been it delayed. It feels... James Bond's been delayed, right? So now this is the might be the the storm before the bigger storm, um, as um, as Top Gun Maverick and 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 Mission Impossible Seven get again. Of course, I watched Top Gun for the first time earlier this year, and I fucking despised it. So I, I'm really not that excited. But and also, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll give it a chance. Maybe it'll be better than the original um, because you know that happens. Um, okay, so Brandon, um, what have you watched in the last two weeks? Oh, uh, last not week, a lot. Well, uh, just just since I've last been on, I guess um, not a lot. Mostly rewatches of uh, films that I hold near and dear, uh, like Spider Man Two, which I rewatched uh, re- a few days ago. I saw a film. the yeah. Uh, I saw the Suicide Squad in cinemas twice, and preferred it on a second watch uh, slightly. Mm. Uh, I rewatched Hot Fuzz, which I think is the best film in the Cornetta trilogy. I know you haven't seen it, but it's my personal favorite. Uh, one of my favorite films of all time. My favorite <laughs> Edgar Wright movie as well. And I, uh, in anticipation of the release for The Suicide Squad, I watched the 2016 Suicide Squad for the first time. Lucky guy. Yeah. We all, we all like that. What do you think? Um, it, I think it's the worst superhero movie ever made. Yes. I think. Fair play. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't agree. Um, well, I think, mm-hmm. I've said, I've said, I don't think it's even the best worst DCEU film. I think the theatrical release of Batman vs Superman Dawn Justice was worse. Um, but if you tune into our Suicide Squad episode, you can confirm that all of us hated it. Yeah. Um, JL the least. Um, but, but, and Me Lewis the most. the most, but we all hated it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not there good. It was film. a, there was a little section of I don't, there was some cry for the air court after his statement as well, and there was a little section of that script um, that was cut out from the the you know the the cut that got released, and it was oh, man. some of the worst. Did we actually talk about that on the podcast? I've I know, I know me and you read. talked about this, Lewis. Like, did we, we actually did talk about on the podcast? The Joker yeah, Harley so. scene. It's I, I, it's awful. It's I hope yeah. that never sees the light of day. Keep that man away from Harley Quinn <laughs> under all circumstance, <laughs> and we'll be all right. She licks her lip, sexy. sexy. <laughs> you didn't have to quote it, right? Well, it, yeah, I just, it's um, just ruined my day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm here it's... for. <laughs> uh, so yeah, is that it? Yeah, that's basically it. I haven't been watching a lot recently, mm-hmm. to be fair. So, yep. Yeah, well, uh, again, I say the same. Um, I was away. For, for six days and also had the football which I think stabbed that so you know congrats uh, to me there um, but since I've got home I have watched um, three films that we're not talking about which I watched um, The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey uh, the first one so I watched the extended version of that I haven't seen it properly I've seen it on telly like a load of times but it's the first time I've properly sat down and watched it since the release in the cinemas back in 2012 um, which I think was really close to my birthday it was like they all three of them got released like within like the three days of my birthday, um, and yeah. So I've watched the extended edition, and as everyone that's into the Lord of the Rings says, 
is um, they don't really need extended editions. I think they only got them because the precedent of the Lord of the Rings set for having extended editions. Now, I think uh, apparently Unexpected Journey is the least, like, you know, it's the, it's, it's the one that makes sense the most. You know, like there is extended scenes that are decent in there. The next two are going to be more painful. But, you know, it, it did feel a bit overlong in the extended edition. But I think The Hobbit Unexpected Journey is the strongest of the, the of that trilogy. Uh, and it's a very fun film. Maybe not up to the level out of Lord of the Rings. I think you really notice it in the colour grade, which is really off compared to The Lord of the Rings, which is kind of consistent. Um, and maybe a little bit too colourful at points. Um, but Martin Freeman's an excellent Bilbo. Uh, and you know they're 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 great films, so I'm I'm quite looking forward to rewatching the second and third one, uh, the the rest of this week um, with my pal because I haven't seen them for a long time and watching them with someone so, so nerdy about the uh, the series, you know, it gives you a lot of extra info. Now I also got around to watching one of my mum's favourite films that I've she's been bugging me to watch for a long long time, and that was uh, 1995 Brian Singer film The Usual Suspects, um, which you know stars Gabriel Byrne and um, I. Kevin Spacey uh, and Stephen Baldwin and a few other people, people sort of weight. Um, Vanessa Del Toro, Giancarlo Esposito, and yeah, great film, really, really good. I can see why she liked it. I ne- didn't necessarily love it as much as maybe I, I, I know I was led on to believe. I didn't necessarily fulfil all expectations, mainly because I think the early half of the film, anyone that's seen The Usual Suspects, the beginning of the film, I think the narrative formula it, it kind of is a little bit too it's you're jumping between one day ago six days ago some of it is just flashback some of it is um speech you know you're hearing a recollection of someone i think it and there's so many names going about i think the early part of the film is a little bit confusing uh and that maybe dragged it down a little bit but i thought it was very strong i thought that um it was very interesting you know it's got a very interesting ending one of the best endings the film seen for a while um you know, it's again. It's just a shame that Kevin Spacey is a cunt because you know he's so good. Uh, Stephen Baldwin is very good as well in that film, and so was Gabriel Byrne. And yes, yeah, so it was a good uh, film. And I also watched the 1992 Candyman for the first time uh, in preparation for the sequel. Um, now, crucially, I watched this after um, the watching. I watched the sequel first, and then the original, which sounds slightly strange, uh, but I do not regret it. And I'll go into more details when we do. Candyman later so I'm going to leave my thoughts on the original till then um but yeah I also watched that and I have been missing out series I haven't caught up with um Ted Lasso I haven't caught up with What If I watched the first episode of What If this week though and I thought it was okay the um, Captain Carter one but I'm I am a bit behind so I am uh, a bad a bad host um but you know life goes on my life it's uh go on until you've seen yeah. these things Yes, um, Lewis especially. I think you know, not not in like a, a mean way to Brandon. I think, I think it's just that you know you follow more kind of filmy accounts and stuff uh, than Brandon does. Isn't as uh, the amateurs that we are? Isn't it kind of slightly annoying seeing everyone at Venice and Telluride or whatever it's called this week? Like it feels like I'm a bit left out. Yes, I absolutely hate it. The amount mm, I just hate film festivals. I I also hate. I love them, but I also hate them. Every time I've seen someone post a selfie in Venice, they're like, I'm going to go and watch Dune. I was like, blocked. Never want to see you again. Why are you rubbing yeah. this in my face that I'm not in Venice? Just show them in the cinema, dude. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know if it feels a little bit elitist. I do, oh, I do like film festivals, but I, I'm so envious of the people that go to them. 
it just really yeah, I mean, annoys it's probably me. jealousy for me. If if I could go, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, they're cool. You know, it's, yeah. it's a nice space to. to but I, yeah, I'm like, oh fuck off, the lawyer. It's an old boys club. What, little boys club, yeah. That I'm, old, I'd like to be invited boys to, by the way. If boys. Any of the boys, um, <laughs> yeah. If um, watching Paw Patrol, the if, any, <laughs> if anyone from the boys club wants to invite me, um, you can contact me at uh, samhoosonatgmail.com. That's not true. That's not my email address. I lied. Uh, you can contact us at the podcast at nowshamepod.gmail.com, of course. So uh, before we talk about um, our first review, which will be Cinderella, uh, I just wanted to talk about um, a few things that are coming out soon. So first of all, uh, I want to talk about uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, the po- the trailer is obviously quite old now. It's two weeks old. It came out during the recording of the last episode which came out obviously like five days before it was recorded five days before it was. Um, but seeing, you know, obviously you just said about like Love Spider-Man 2, Brandon, seeing um, the pumpkin bomb from the Green Goblin, seeing a uh, very CGI'd Alfred Molina, seeing Sandman and, and also the, the villains from the uh, Amazing Spider-Man films. Um, would you say that your your hype for for No Way Home has increased, uh, or would you say you're always hyped, or you still not? Bothered? What what f- emotions did the the No Way Home trailer invoke for you, Brandon? Well, there was always a lot of anticipation because it, it for like it, it's weird going into a, like a Marvel movie and not knowing at all what to expect. But and there was a, a lot of there still is, but there was a lot of that, especially before the trailer came out, because it, it was absurdly. They waited absurdly long to drop the trailer, but um, it definitely has made me, you know, w- want to see it more. I mean, I was always going to see it. They've got like, you know, my my ticket is being bought, but yeah. what that trailer just made me feel like a little tiny baby boy again. And Alfred Molina said two words, and I was seven, and it was. Yeah. It's just um. The, the the thing about it is i think i think it's actual mcu tom holland spider-man is the the thing people are least interested in about this which yeah. which um you know it it is what it is he's going to be there i'm sure it'll be it'll be it'll be cool but i need to see toby Maguire or i'll cry, I'll cry so much yeah cuz there is still rumors that he's not going to be in it now i don't think they'll ever go through with this project without having him yeah. signed up for it because yeah. that'll be an unbelievable cocktease but I think he is going to be. Um, would you say the same? Have you got any any thoughts on the trailer, um, Lewis? Yeah, I pretty much completely agree with what Brandon said. It was like as soon as I saw the pumpkin bomb and Doctor Octopus came up, I was like, I'm a child again. Watching particularly the Raimi Spider-Man films, the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man films, I've never particularly had any attachment to them, but the Raimi Spider-Man films were my childhood. So seeing the Green Goblin's pumpkin bomb and Dr. Octopus, it was like, this is insane. Like, I'm so hyped for it. Like The amount of leaks that this film has had, it wasn't really a surprise, but to actually see it happen was just next level. Like, I can't wait to see this. And, you know, you're right. They do have to have Andrew and Toby back. They can't do this without bringing them back. I think it's pretty much completely confirmed that Andrew is back. I think that's yeah. that's like a known thing. I think there's pictures of him on set and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I and just I've seen Charlie Cox. 
Charlie Cox has been kind of adamant and trying to just prove to everyone that he's not in it. Um, you know, the director who played Daredevil. And I don't know if he will be in it. I I'm not personally one of the people that thinks, oh yeah, he's definitely in it. Um, but he's just like, keeps saying like, I'm not in it, I'm not in it. And everyone's just like, oh yeah, well, you are though, aren't you? Like, he probably isn't <laughs> and everyone's going to be disappointed, but yeah. Toby's got to be. It's it's like the Fantastic Four casting. Like, they just, the internet saw a guy in a white shirt and decided it was Matt Murdock. Now it's, yeah. if it's not, everyone's going to be really angry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, although it was revealed... About- it was revealed that that person wasn't Matt Murdock because the IMAX showings of Shang-Chi have got the Spider-Man trailer in the expanded IMAX aspect ratio and you can see his face and it's not Charlie Cox. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah. That's puts about then, isn't it? So Charlie Cox might um, be in it, but that isn't Charlie Cox. Maybe they've edited it mm-hmm. for the trailer, like they do. Those yes, CGI yeah. Sneaky, yeah. sneaky Marvel people. Spider-Man Far From Home had a like half of the trailer wasn't in the film, was it? So, uh, so yeah, it could be yeah. yeah. Um, did you two hear about my son, James McAvoy? I yes. saw a headline about it earlier. Is that the one with no script? Yes. Yeah. So everybody has, everyone knows what's the, the story. On every, all the crew members know the story and know all of the plot beats and what's going to happen and all that stuff. Except for James McAvoy, he only knows very basic details and he has no dialogue or script and he has to just improv it all. And I think it's about. He um he he is I think he's, he's a seven, his seven year old son goes missing, um who gets kidnapped or something and he has to just make it all he doesn't know anything that's going to happen and he just um you know has to see what happens to him and and, and kind of go off it and it's going to be released uh straight onto demand I think so um in America it'll be on Peacock whatever the fuck that is in the UK we haven't got a clue yet um this film was made by the same director made this film in 2017 but they. I think in a more traditional format, but he's remade it four years later with McAvoy. And it's just a very interesting concept, and I'm quite excited for the to be able to watch it first. Yeah, I think yeah. it's kind of like pretentious and pointless. But I am interested in I it. I guess, but I'm also interested in what seeing what he can do with that. Like just seeing that, that I think that's a massive task for McAvoy, and I'll be very interested in seeing what he can yeah. do with it. Okay. So we need to get some damn reviews out, don't we? Um Lewis, you watched uh, Cinderella this week, uh, the new version of Cinderella. Uh, can you tell me tell me the details? Tell me who's in it, who directed it, what happens, and just how good that damn film is. Well, Cinderella is Amazon's adaptation of the classic fairy tale that we all know and perhaps love, but certainly know. And it stars Camille Cabello as the titular Cinderella. It's directed by Kay Cannon who also wrote it. It's star Idina Menzel, Pierce Brosnan is also in it. And it's a modernization of the story. Um, Cinderella is just referred to as Ella, not Cinderella. Cinderella is kind of a nickname for her, but she refers to herself as Ella. She's a seamstress who wants to become a professional seamstress. She wants to sew dresses professionally. And her dream is to have her own stall in the town market uh, and then the classic beats are still hit with the evil stepmother the ugly stepsisters and all that stuff and the ball and the uh, the glass slippers and the magic stops at midnight um, and that is basically the plot of Amazon Cinderella I won't go into spoilers because some people might be interested in going in blind because it doesn't have the same plot beats as the original 
or the classic rather than the original. There are countless adaptations of it. But I think most people, myself included, had just completely dismissed this as, like, awful, horrendous thing. And I hadn't seen any of the trailers. I'd watched, like, the brief 15-second clips that people edited from the trailers, but I hadn't actually seen the trailers. So I really didn't know what to expect, other than I expected it to be very, very shit. Like, he's all that. And when it started, after about five minutes, I was like, I'm actually enjoying myself, and I can't believe I'm enjoying myself. I don't particularly like Camilla Cabello, I don't think she's a very good singer, but she can sing, which is an advantage of casting an actual, like, pop singer, especially with, like, in a studio recorded version of a song, she can hold a note, which is more than can be said for the likes of Emma Watson in Beauty and the Beast, who infamously sounded quite bad. Um, in this, she sounds passable. It's not perfect, but it's, you know, she's passable. Um, and they also use modern music as well. They don't, there are original songs in it, but they use classic songs like Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation is the opening number. They sing, um, Somebody to Love by Queen, Material Girl by Madonna, um, Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes, War Man by Salt and Pepper, and so many other like contemporary songs. And it was just fun. It wasn't particularly well executed, you know, the directing wasn't remarkable, the script was a bit cringy. Camilla Cabello is a bad actress, she can't act, and she really <laughs> cannot carry this film. Okay. Okay. Um who was better, um Camilla Cabello or Addison Ray? That that is a good question. I I think because she had singing to do, I'd go with Camilla Cabello. But there really isn't much separating them. There really isn't. Okay. Okay. Um. But yeah, she cannot lead a film. She just she shouldn't have tried acting. She is the biggest mistake in this. Casting someone who cannot act was a big mess up on behalf of the people who make it. But other than her, I really don't have. Other than her and James Corden, I really don't have any complaints. It was so much fun. Adina Menzel. You didn't like James Corden? No, unsurprisingly. That's a surprise. Yeah. yeah, James Corden is horrific, as usual in this. But Adina Menzel. Except for, of course, except for Gavin and Stacey, of course. Yeah, he's fine in Gavin and Stacey. But Adina Menzel is the evil stepmother, and she was, for me, the highlight of the film. She went full on like, cartoonishly annoying, like, just not evil, but, like, cartoonishly annoying. Like, she just, she was so horrible and mean and cruel, like, a child's bully. <laughs> it was, and she was having so much fun with it, and she really, really loved it. And Pierce Brosnan was also really good in it, and Billy Porter playing the Fab G, the fairy godmother, the non-binary fairy godmother, he was the highlight of like the whole thing. The only complaint about him is that he didn't have enough time. He had one scene, and that was it. But he like slayed the whole thing. It was incredible. And I, I genuinely don't believe that I loved it as much as I did. But I was humming the songs for the few days after I saw it. I, I had the songs stuck in my head. They're great songs, they're classic songs, so everyone loves, like, Madonna and Queen and Salt and Pepper, and it's perfect, and 
it actually feels like Disney have been remaking all of their classic Disney princess things, and they they are remakes, but Disney call them reimaginings. This actually feels like a reimagining of a classic tale. Like they've taken the essence of the story and changed it, but they've changed it enough that it's completely different than any other iteration of the story. And I would take this over another Disney remake every single day. This was fun, Mad. and I enjoyed it. The Disney remakes don't do anything. This at least tries to do something. And I genuinely think that if Camilla Cabello wasn't in this and they cast someone who can sing and act, this would be, like, a beloved film. I really do. Mad. Now, I say mad not because I haven't seen it, of course, um, but because it's been rated so poorly, if you're going off letterbox yeah. ratings, then I think over well over 50% of people have given it a half star or a star out of five. Yeah. So for you to have such a, a controversial opinion is obviously interesting. I think it, this, um, with this, sorry to interrupt you, just one small thing. No, you should be sorry. Yeah, okay. I'm not sorry. I take my apology back. But, but um, the the one thing about this is I really do think that this is a case of, if you hate this, you just hate fun. Because it is fun. And, you know, someone could talk for hours <laughs> about how this... If you hate this... or that, you just hate fun. <laughs> but someone could talk about this for hours, about why it fails <laughs> as a film. But, when Idina Menzel is like belting out Material Girl by Madonna, everyone is going to have fun watching that. And you can just surrender to it and have fun. Or you can be cynical and be like, oh, this the cinematography isn't interesting. The screenplay is awful. The acting is disgusting. It's awful. Or you can just say, I really don't care because it's fun. And it is fun and I enjoyed it and I would watch it again. And I've downloaded a lot of the soundtrack because it's fun. And that is, above all else, it's fun. And, you know, okay. I know for yeah. a fact that next Echoing time... My, uh, oh. Space Jam reviews. Yeah, it is. It, that's exactly the perfect comparison. I know for a fact that next time I go and see my nieces, my aforementioned nieces, they'll be obsessed with this. They'll be singing Janet Jackson and Salt and Pepper, and they'll want the dress, and they'll be rewatching it endlessly. And power to them because it's great. Yeah. So, what would you be going for in terms of rating out of ten? Probably like a six and a half, seven. Okay, that sounds about fair. Uh, and Man of the Match? Man of the Match would be Idina Menzel. It would have been Billy Porter, but there just isn't enough of him in it. Idina Menzel is okay. the perfect evil stepmother. Okay, okay, nice. Um, did you see uh, Space Jam, Brandon? Uh, no, I never got around to it. I, I got the feeling that all of the interesting bits that people would talk about, you could just see on YouTube anyway. Okay, wonder because I just wonder because you know we had fairly controversial views. And I felt like yeah. you was kind of the more miserable person out of you know the people I know in my life. Mm-hmm. And I might have brought some more traditional thoughts on on Space Jam. Uh, okay, so that was Cinderella. Directed by who's yeah. Cinderella directed by? Uh, I think her name is Kay Cannon. Let me double check. Yes, Kay Cannon, <clears throat> who also okay. wrote and directed so was... one of my favorite comedies of the past few years, Blockers, with John Cena. Oh, right. So she's okay. gone from that to this. Uh, upgrade or downgrade? Downgrade. It is a downgrade because Blockers is fantastic, but I still enjoyed this. Okay. Moving on, 
from Cinderella to Candyman. Um, whilst I guess they would sound kind of similar in, in terms of name, Candyman is obviously quite a positive name, but in content, obviously quite different. This is our horror film of the week. This is Near the Costas sequel to the classic 1992 Bernard Rose film, Candyman, um, that kind of serves as almost a bit of a soft reboot. I think it is definitely built to be standalone, um, despite the fact that it is obviously a sequel and encompasses some of the same actors and and story uh, beats of the original. So, Candyman is um, about, it's the story of um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, is who obviously was in Trials Hero 7 uh, last year we talked about. Um, he was in that, right? I'm not just being an idiot. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. He was in that. He, he was in that and um, he played the villain in Aquaman and he was in Us, of course, which is also uh, got the Jordan Peele connection I'll mention in a second. Um, he plays a man named Anthony who moves to Cabrini, um, a, gen- a kind of gentrified area that used to be part of the the ghetto in in chicago he's a painter who is married to or is going out with um someone who is a um a, a gallery um what's the word uh brandon what's the word what's the you know, someone that organizes a gallery uh the uh, prick right <sighs> okay i'm good <laughs> oh shit uh, manager, um, a no, curator, manager. creator, creator. She creates a museum. I think my she first answer was right. Right, okay. Um, will I edit that out? No, I won't. I'll leave that in for a bit of you know personality. <laughs> the museum creator. She, she's going. She, he, he's an artist that's going out with a art uh, art creator. Um, and they're moving to this new place in Caribbeani, and he slowly unearths the story of the Candyman myth. Um, through a, a talking to a local um, who's grown up with the fear of the Candyman, tells many stories being played by Coleman Domingo. Um, Candyman, of course, being very similar to the UK tr- tradition of, of Bloody Mary. Are you aware of Bloody Mary? Did you grow up? Is that something people used to say when you were growing up? I'm aware of it, yeah. Yeah, I, I, when I was growing up, it was always if you say Bloody Mary three times in the mirror, you'll, you'll die. Yeah. Candyman, if you say Candyman five times in the mirror, he'll show up behind you and he'll kill you, a man with a big hook for a hand. Now, as I say, this this is kind of a reboot, kind of a sequel. Uh, this is the fourth film in the Candyman franchise. Now, you've never seen uh, Candyman, the original. I hadn't when I watched this, but I have since watched it. Um, so, can you give me not a, 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 no thoughts on the previous films as a standalone adaptation? Uh, I mentioned Jordan Peele, by the way. Jordan Peele uh, produced and wrote this along with someone else you know he was one of the three writers on this so there's a kind of the connection of course directed us and and get out um so it's, it's near the cost directed it but he wrote and produced near it near the also um, wrote it by the way yeah yes uh, she was like the it wasn't it wasn't it she wasn't like one of the main writers it was jordan peele and someone else and then she was like i'm not sure what she jordan is credited peele. as a writer along with she's credited as a writer but I, it was when rosenfeld yeah. Yeah, because I think it, it says like Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld with Near the Costa. So I think she was like a, a script editor or something. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's obviously got the Jordan Peele connection. We've got a lot of attention, of course. So what did you think of it, Brandon? 
Uh, I thought it was quite good. I didn't have any prior knowledge of the um, previous films, and, and still don't, I suppose, but I think it works really well as a standalone film for a modern audience, and I'm glad uh, that Nia Costa's gotten the, the praise that she has for this, because I think it looks great from, from you know, a directing cinematography standpoint, and is just a, a really well-made film in general as well. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, and um, I was I was very impressed by Candyman. Um, Neil Costa, of course, is is directing the new Captain Marvel sequel, the, the Marvels, um, which obviously a very massive departure in style from from Candyman. Um, but again, you know, it, it filled me some confidence because I really, really liked Candyman. Uh, I'll say some of my thoughts, and then we'll get back to yours, Brandon. Okay. Um, now, I, I I will say that if you haven't seen the original. I would recommend watching the sequel first, much like I did, because I think that this is built with the kind of the the, the idea that <clears throat> you either haven't seen it in a while or you haven't seen it, because a lot of the events, which are pretty much the events of the original film, are kind of seen as twists and surprises in this, so I would recommend actually watching this first. Um, now, <clears throat> I think... Um, Nia da Costa, you know, this is the first major like Hollywood film that she's produced, uh, she's directed, and I think she deserves, you know, an incredible amount of, of of credit for that. And her and Jordan Peele and um, uh, Winrose, uh, sorry, Win Rosenfeld, um, who he wrote this, um, deserve an awful lot of credit for a story that not only. Um, is scary and keep those, but also has a lot to say. You could very much find comparisons to Jordan Peele's other works, such as, you know, Get Out is a lot of clear um, co- uh, dialogue, talk on s- racial issues in America, and, and Candyman is no different. And, you know, I, I'm not decrediting the other writers, but, you know, that you, you can see in Peele's work from before, but there is a lot to be said about gentrification, um, as lots of people said about the kind of um, there was this, this very interesting talk, and I don't want to get too spoilery, but kind of they advocate for the existence of the Candyman, the the idea of the slasher being a kind of nice story to to tell your kids, well, a scary story, but a story to tell your kids that stops you from having true conversations about police brutality uh, and you know the issues of kind of being neglected by the government in kind of majority black areas in America. I think having that political, you know, overtones, I, w- I wouldn't describe the undertones here. They're very, very prominent. Having those, I think really made it feel like this was worth your while. It wasn't just going for scares. There was something real, some real meat to this um, that I really thought improved the experience and made it feel, you know, like an awful lot smarter than, than the majority of horror flicks that came out, especially slasher fish, flicks, which are, traditionally seen as kind of being dumb by people that aren't horror fans now obviously i'm a big horror fan that's not really an issue with me um but you know i think it really gives you a little bit more to deal with there um now of course the original candy definitely has a lot of important messages but they are definitely undertones they're definitely a bit more allegorical than than in candy man 2021 where it's obviously the main subject of the film Yaya Abdul-Mateen puts in an absolutely excellent performance, but he's not the only one. So does Tiona Paris and so does Carmen Domingo. Those three put in some absolutely excellent performances that are probably the best, or at least some of the best, you'll see from any horror film this year up there with Emily Blunt and um, the, the cast of, of Quiet Place Part 2. And it's definitely up there with Joel Fry in 
in the earth as, as kind of some of the best horror performances. I think the kind of slow change of the character that, that Yaya Abdul-Mateen goes through, his character of Anthony, the way he changes throughout the film is is excellent to see and, and really shows a com- massive range. Um, and Carmen Domingo, we talked about him Ma Rainey a lot uh, back in Christmas time. We talked about him a lot a few weeks ago when we talked about Zola. And we're talking about him again because he absolutely is one of the best actors in Hollywood right now. I mean, we're talking about an absolute A-plus performer. He puts in another just just excellent performance that is full of mystery and intrigue and creepiness and oh, it's just a very very strong performance here um from a visual standpoint coming into the cinematographer and near da costa um the cinematography i think is is up there with anything this year like it the usage of reflections and mirrors that obviously kind of mirrors um the plot and the the kind of you know you summon can you know, i'm talking the mirror the the use of reflections throughout the film is absolutely a class second to none just it's amazing that this was actually the cinematographer is the same on on this and he's all that that we previously reviewed because i can't imagine a slightly more different film um but he same bloke did both but yeah truly you know i think this is one of the most intriguing um horrors of, of the last few years and and i think one of the most well made um i think as a lot of highs and awful lot of lows in the horror genre and this is certainly one of the higher highs um, a lot of the kind of stories of the Candyman, his history, are shown through kind of um, puppet shows and, and, and paper against paper puppets against walls, and it presents an interesting style that really keeps you into the action and and is a, a lot better than just kind of someone just spewing information at you. I think that the way that it's shown is, is very visually pleasing and is interesting and shows the kind of child-like fear, you know, the idea that it's a boogeyman. Uh, I've done it in an excellent way. And I really, really would rate this film very highly and is, you know, one of the best horrors of the year. If you want, is there anything you want to bounce off there, Brandon? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think um, I think everything you said was pretty much spot on. I, I enjoy... The fact that it feels like a movie with with something to say, um, which not a lot of horror movies do, which which is all right. Not every film needs that, but you know when it's there, it's definitely appreciated if it has you know an important message to get across, which which I feel this does. And um, it it almost at times it's not an it's not an issue that I had like I didn't have a problem with it, but it almost at times felt like the the sort of messages about gentrification and stuff sort of took over from from the the horror Be- and I, I, I don't know maybe that's because like those themes are things we see in, in the real world and obviously you know Candyman isn't so if you you know there's a, there's an application there um of like real world events and consequences and, and, and things that actually happen to people but um sure yeah yeah I um I I I think it's a I think it just does a really good job of getting this message across and felt different from from any sort of horror film I've seen in a while. Obviously, earlier and we reviewed them on the podcast. Um, the the other horror films I've seen this year were the uh, Fear Street series, sure, and they were very very different from this. Like I enjoyed them, but I don't know that this this sort of feels more important. I I think if I had to nitpick. Some things just because we're both being overwhelmingly positive, and I can't have that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I've got some negatives. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think two of the plot points maybe are sort of like you, you can see early on where it's going to go, and it sort of does and doesn't veer out of that, which doesn't ruin the experience at all. Like the journey is still, you know, very, very gripping and and mm. 
enjoyable to watch. But um, you know, I just I just sort of had a thought early on, like, is this where it's going to go? And then it did, which is fine as well. Um, but I was wondering if you if you had that as well. Yeah, I think the situation around, yeah, you know, some of the central performance and the bee sting and such. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into spoilers, but I do know what you mean. And I think, yeah, there is a few points that, that I did think were fairly predictable. But then I thought that was also mixed in with a fair things I did not expect and a lot of character changes that I didn't expect later on. So I think it almost made up for it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, of kind of the events that go around, a few of the background characters that kind of become more and more important throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was impressed. I, I'd say that I think, uh, especially early on, um, I didn't necessarily love all of the dialogue. I thought that the beginning 20 minutes of the film when you're introducing the characters, people did feel a little bit two-dimensional. You know, there's a lot of kind of very kind of kiddie dialogue. Mm. Um, a lot of kind of to do with um, the tone of Paris's um, brother and his brother's boyfriend. Yeah. A lot of that kind of dialogue I thought was a little bit cheesy. Um, the kind of... the, the the, the the person the the curators you know when they're at the art show her like yeah, friend yeah, yeah. and his girl his girlfriend some of the dialogue around that I was like a little bit cheesy and yeah you know <clears throat> now there has been obviously a bit of controversy in the film criticism world about people not giving Nia DaCosta credit now I'm sure everyone's seen this and yeah. people describing it like it's Jordan Peele's film now I really don't want to do that. But, I don't know if you agree, but I definitely can feel the Jordan Peele input here. I think the writing does feel very Jordan Peele in a lot of ways. I think that is one of the reasons why people might have been maybe led onto that, because I think a lot of it, not only, I think less so in dialogue, but more so in, you know, some of the messaging. Um, And some of the characters felt very much, very Jordan Peele-ish. I think there was, do you know what I mean? I, I can see why people would kind of, maybe forget that it isn't his film. Do you know what I mean? I think I could feel the influence in quite a lot. I I, I definitely felt that. Like, I think it's fair to assume that he was the head writer on this. I I, I would imagine so. Of the three, because uh, Wynne Rosenfeld, this is the first movie he's ever written. He's usually a producer. And um, I'm sure Nita Costa had a lot of inputs as as well. Yeah, it could um, be her, yeah, sure. In terms of the the overall messaging and, and, and just, I suppose, tonally, the way it felt. It's definitely got his fingerprints on it in there, but that's not to take anything away from Nia Costa. I think she no, translates of course it not, no. brilliantly of and deserves a lot of praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is um, only Nia Costa's second film, and the first film, um, you know, Little Woods, you know, three years ago wasn't like a, a massive. Uh, I don't know. If, have you seen? Have you seen it, Lewis? Little Woods? Uh, no, I haven't. But I have been meaning to I watch mean, it, it because I want to yeah. delve into her work. But I can't watch Candyman mm-hmm. because I'm a child. <laughs> I will say that I, I wasn't as, as scary as I thought it would be in kind of a general sense I think that a lot of the messages are, are, are very kind of yeah. chilling but I don't necessarily think it would be like a one that you would be able to sit through you know obviously you are a super pussy so there's that <laughs> but I think yeah this is the first kind of mega film she's she's made this is actually one um, cool stat that came out this week is that Nia Costa is the first black female filmmaker to ever top the US box office which is you know very impressive yeah stat um depressing you know, that it's never happened is, before is, yeah exactly it's impressive yeah. for her it's depressing that it's taken this long yeah um yeah. but it is it, that is a kind of cool thing that it's the first one to break that finally off. happened um yes of course it's definitely deserving um, of that as well i would say and it's definitely deserving yeah it's, it's probably the best thing in the cinema right now i'm glad people um, are watching this film oh yeah it's, it was definitely one of um yeah yeah it's, yeah it's an excellent it's an excellent piece of work and i i think um 
it's it's t- actually quite a few good horror films this year. It's actually mm-hmm. kind of tough. Um, I I think it's going to be a very hard fought battle for me personally yeah. between In the Earth and Candyman um, for my two favorite um, of the year. Um, I think that the In the Earth was certainly scarier. But I admired a lot of what Candyman did more. I think the mm-hmm. acting performances were a little bit stronger. Um, but, I, you know, I'd have to come back to it at the end of the year when we do our Now Showing Wars and I'll, I'll talk about which of the two I preferred. I can certainly say this is an awful lot better than Don't Breathe 2. So um, <laughs> if we're moving on to the ratings, uh, and is there anything else you want to say? Or are we have to go uh, to ratings? Oh, uh, just on your point about the dialogue, I definitely know what you mean in terms of the sort of gallery manager whatever is yeah in position to, uh, the dialogue there so um, basically we both cringed at the joy division line yeah well that stuff yeah you know but I, do, there's um there's most of it a bit of that gets called out but um it's it's uh yeah it's it's definitely a lot and there's some of the lines in there but i'd, I'd rather yeah, not rep- i'd rather not i'd rather not repeat cheesy. yeah um yeah. but on the um character of Tierno paris's brother I get why you would um, feel that way about the dialogue. It wasn't an issue for me personally, but um, I also feel like that um, the the film has a like solid um, representation of uh, a gay couple. I feel yeah, like no, it was, yeah, yeah, I feel like yeah. it was really well yeah, done, definitely. and I and um, I just enjoyed seeing that. It wasn't you know too important to the overall plot, but I, I just I, I didn't think he was his dialogue was at all cringy when he was in the film later on. Yeah. Um, it was just the early, first scene when they all introduced yeah. all four of them. It was like a little bit like, oh, you know, we just need to, we need to make sure everyone knows loads about these four characters, and so we need well three characters because yeah. the boyfriend doesn't talk much. But those four characters, those three: Tony Paris, Yahoo uh, Abdulatine, and uh, the brother who I forget the name of the actor. That would be oh Nathan Stewart Jarrett. Um, they have to kind of get their personality in really quickly, so everyone's mm-hmm. a little bit over the top. All three of them yeah. are a little over the top. And um, you know, Abdul Teen's character is a little bit pretentious throughout, which is obviously his character. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of a bit OTT at the beginning. But yeah, I think I, it was uh, a great and a faithful uh, adaptation to the original. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, oh, you, sorry. I was actually, before we, we um, finish up, I should actually do a little bit of talk about the 1992 Candyman. Oh, sure. Um, so I watched this um, after, um, crucially after the watching the, the new one, and I don't regret that because, as I said, a lot of the events of the first film are kind of revealed as twists, so it's almost like they imply that film, the, the viewer hasn't seen them or it's been long enough. So I would recommend anyone watching to watch the, the new one first. Um, I will say I, I did enjoy Candyman 92, and I can see why it's a classic, and again, I, I understand a lot of the kind of underlying themes and stuff, but... For me, I enjoyed it less so than I did the new film. Um, there's a lot less, um, you know, it's a little bit more basic. It's a little bit more typical slasher. Um, and I think that the pacing is very off. Uh, the film is kind of split into a kind of before big event happens, after big event happens. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the tone is so different. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that can be done very well. It's just that I feel like some of it is very rushed. Some of it goes on for far too long. Um, and it, it kind of adds a situation where you're kind of waiting for it to finish by the end. Um, I will say, though, that Virginia Madsen is absolutely excellent. Uh, and, and you know, she, she puts off a, a crack and roll here. And, and the way that she deals with, you know, a lot of very interesting emotions and kind of you can put your... I don't want to spoil it. 
Um, I guess it kind of is spoiled by the plot of, of the new one, but the way that she, the things that she has to deal with, you know, everyone kind of fears going through that. Um, and, you know, to see her pull that off, you know, it's, it's very interesting watch. Um, yeah, you know, it ne- doesn't necessarily technically stand up to the likes of the new one with stuff like cinematography and lighting and stuff, but it's definitely a very interesting watch. And I, I can see why it was a classic that spawned three sequels. Um, yeah. I don't think anyone particularly cares about the Candyman two or three. They're kind of straight to video ones, I think. Um, but then obviously the fourth one being the new reboot. I would say that the Candyman was very good, but I would rate it not as highly as the new one. And when it comes to the new one, um, what are we thinking of a rating, Brandon? I um, I was sort of teetering over seven or eight, but I haven't considered just how solid the performances are and how brilliant the cinematography is. I think it's the... The only film that I've seen this year that comes at that top sir for me is Nomadland. Uh, in terms really? of in terms of visuals, I think. Yeah. Oh, my visuals, right? Sure, yeah, sure. just in terms of visuals, yeah. Um, All right, yeah. So, on the basis of it being um, just a, a really solid, well-made movie with with solid performances and really nice visuals, I would give it the eight, eight out of ten. Okay, sure. I'm going to go a little bit higher. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Um, but yeah, for so many reasons. Uh, on the, t- I can't necessarily think of everything off the top of my head. The only thing that I can think of as being outwardly definitely better visually than this, um, would be Zola, uh, which I think is still the most impressive visually uh, of any film I've seen this year. Um, mm-hmm. but you can is definitely up there in that conversation for the best of them uh, other than Zola. Um, and obviously both films share Coleman Domingo. Um, Okay, so who would your man of the match be? There's an awful lot of people here. Yaya Team is a great performance. Dana Paris, Nia Costa, you know, mm-hmm. the cinematographer, who is uh, the same one that did uh, He's All That. It's, uh, yeah. uh, what's his name? It's uh, oh John Gulzarian. Um, mm-hmm. The editing strong, the writing, Jordan Peele. What, what were we thinking for, for man of the match here? Uh, I would be tempted to give it to Nia Costa. Um but the the only thing holding me back from doing that is that the the screenplay feels so Jordan Peele, um. So it's sort of like it's a toss up between the two of them if I was going to give it to either of them. But I think a lot of the film hinges on uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen's performance, and I think he absolutely nailed it. So to to split the difference between Peele and Acosta, I'm going to give it to Abdul Mateen. Right. Okay. Um. Just to, I guess guessing of what I just said. You won't be too surprised to say that I'm going to go for John Gozerian, the the cinematographer. It's the film that says it's beautiful um, and thought thought invoking uh, visuals um, that really make the best of all the sets they use. And the the use the usage of reflections in this is just textbook. It's just if you said to someone, you know, this is how you to to kind of mimic the the plot within your cinematography you know you'd go for this it shows the 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 whole mirror thing with with the story in such an excellent way i just it's cracking so i'm going for john gozerian for cinematography okay Okay. now from Candyman to something a little bit less orthodox we are going to be talking about annette now now neither me nor um What's your name? Brandon. Have yeah, seen it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Neither me or Brandon have seen it yet, um, but uh, Lewis has gone out and seen it for us. It is not in major cinemas, I don't think, but it is in like picture houses. No, and every it man's it's in Odeon. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't uh, see I it. I don't think Cineworld it's in Cineworld, but it is in Odeon. 
Right, that's that's my bad for thing. Maybe it'll be an Enfield one because Enfield has loads on. But yeah, um, so I'll, I'll, well, so it, apparently it is an audience. So Annette <clears> did <throat> um, attract a lot of attention at Cannes this year, a film festival. Um, so who's in it? Who directed it? What's it about? How good is it? Give us the whole. Should I go watch the cinema? Give us, give us everything about Annette, Mr. Lewis, please. Well, I remember seeing the trailer for Annette however many months ago and being very excited for it. And then I remember it premiering at Cannes and seeing very mixed reviews. And ever since then, I've been very, very intrigued. I've, I, I don't even think I'm exaggerating more when I say I've seen every conceivable rating for this. I've seen people say, this is a zero out of 10. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. And I've seen people say, this is a 10 out of 10. It's the most inventive, sur- surreal experience I've ever had. And I was like, I need to see this to find out which side of the fence I fall on. So Annette is directed by Leo Carax, and it's written by Sparks, the musical duo. Uh, and the music is by them as well. And it stars Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver, and Simon Helberg as well, but Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver are the two protagonists. And it's about this couple, and I can't really delve into the plot much, um, for reasons I'll explain in a minute, but it's about this couple, and it's about their relationship and their child, and their child is called Annette. And that's pretty much all I can say for the plot, because this film is weird. It's... I the credits came on and I just sat there in silence like I need time to process this and I walked home and it was late at night I was on my own in the dark and I was like I have no idea if I loved that or if I hated it and I think after a couple of days well not a couple of days a day I am in love with Annette it's it's stunning. It's magical. It's... I, I I can't even articulate I'm so frustrated that you've not seen it because I'm the only one who can talk about it now. Um, it's... I felt spellbound. It's... They take... They take you on a, a journey, a visual journey, an audio journey. It was... It was just insane. The cinematography is stunning the direction is fantastic it's a remarkable film and it's so personal and intimate but so surreal at the same time it's it's just it feels like a classical opera it it feels like an operatic tragedy it's they sing all the way through there is very little dialogue it's mostly singing and i think Marion Cotillard, I'm not sure if she does her own singing, because I know she lip-synced when she played Edith Piaf, but that's because she lip-synced to Edith Piaf, who has a, an iconic voice. I don't know if she did her own singing here, but she was fantastic at singing. Adam Driver was fantastic at singing. It was the performances, these characters were so well done. It, two of my favourite performances that I've seen in a while, but the standout performance, surprisingly was Simon Helberg from The Big Bang Theory. Howard from The Big Bang Theory, to me, outperformed Marion Cotillard and Adam Driver. There's So do you think this stands up as a piece of media comparative to Young Sheldon? 
<laughs> As a piece of media, this and Young Sheldon are probably in the same ballpark. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I there, there's a clip that's going around Twitter at the minute of Simon Helberg in this film. And don't watch it if you see it. I've seen it, like loads of people sharing it and talking about it. And I didn't watch it. Yeah. And I thought, I'll wait. Don't watch it. Because watching it in a cinema in the dark, on the massive screen with the massive speakers, that scene is one of the most magical experiences I've had in a cinema in a long time. It was flawless. Simon Helberg's acting in that one scene alone is fantastic, and the cinematography in that one scene alone is fantastic, and the music in that one scene is fantastic. I I don't think it will because it's so divisive, but I genuinely want him to get some best supporting actor love in awards season. That's how good I think he is in this. It's amazing. The music is so wonderful. It's peaceful and calm and melodic. And then in an instant, it switches to be tense and stressful. It's perfect music. The lyrics are fantastic. It it genuinely is a film that completely enchanted me. For It, it, it is too long. And it did drag a bit. It could have shaved like 10, 20 minutes off. But I didn't want to be anywhere else when I was watching it. Even when it was dragging, I didn't want to be anywhere else. I was completely enveloped in this world. And it's just beautiful. The only complaint is that it was a bit too long. And I don't know if you've seen this, but the the doll, the Annette, the doll, the baby is yes. horrific. It's nightmare Yeah, I've heard a lot of talk about this. So it's a baby that, when it's really young, is played by a doll. Not a just doll. when it's really young. It's a doll. Right, okay. It's it's a monstrosity. It's, and I, <laughs> right. It's intentionally looks like that. It's not like it's a bad doll. It's it, it looks that way on purpose, but it is a monstrosity. It's so creepy. The noises that it makes, it's like worse than the Annabelle doll. It's so horrifying and ugly and just so strange, but I, that's the those are the only complaints that I have about this. The story is slow, and I can't really talk about the story because the only plot points that happen are big spoilers. Um, but it's just about this couple and the journey that this couple go on, and it's it's just magical. It was fantastic. I. I'm obsessed with it, and I want to rewatch it as many times as possible because it, it was an experience, like something I've never seen in a cinema before. It was unbelievable. Please, please go and see it, because I desperately want to see if you hate it or love it, because that's the weird thing about it. I can completely understand why people have given it a 1 out of 10. I can completely understand why people say that it's boring and pretentious and dull. I just completely disagree with it. It's have you seen Holy Motors? The um, no, I haven't. Film that Leo Carrick's made for yeah, because I've heard JL talk quite highly of it. Yeah, but no, I haven't seen it. But I do want to go and see it after seeing this. But sure, yeah, it is genuinely incredible. The cinematography uh, by Caroline Champetier. I assume that she's French. If she's not French, I'll just butcher her last name. Um, that's The cinematography is fantastic. The camera movements that this does, it kind of 
repeats camera movements of specific scenes to show the passage of time, to show how things have changed. And the way that it's done is just absolutely fantastic. It's a surreal experience, this. It's absolutely magical. And I it, just go and watch it in the cinema. Go out of your way to see this in the cinema. I, I think I would not have enjoyed this if I'd have watched it at home. I think this is a film that you need to see in the dark, on the big screen, with the big speakers. It's fantastic. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, I think I'll, I'll make the effort to to get the train down to Cambridge to do to go see that because please do. It's very high praise. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourites of the year. Really? Okay. So, w- what rating is that going to be reflected in? I think it's a nine out of ten. Nine out of ten is pretty damn high. Nine out. Of okay, 10. so you talked up a lot about the uh, performance of uh, of my man from Big Bang Theory. Um, is that going to be your, your man of the match, or what are you thinking? Um, he would be the man of the match, but he just isn't in it quite enough to get the, you know, best thing about this film. I I am undecided. I haven't spoken enough, really, about the music, because it's a musical they sing constantly. Music is almost always playing, and that's all done by Sparks, and the story is done by Sparks. But Leo Carax, the director, he is all over this. This is so distinctly his but I think I have to give Man of the Match or Men of the Match to Sparks. Yeah, okay, we'll accept a, a dual run from here. Yeah. I, won't, I won't make you, make a, make you pick a spark. <laughs> Which spark, brother? <laughs> Which your favourite sparks, brother? The one with the moustache. Ron. <laughs> That's the moustache one. Yeah, him then. Poor Russell. Yeah. Poor Russell. Okay, so that's our thoughts on Annette. Well, your thoughts on Annette. So we're going to be moving on now to the big film of the week, the new Marvel film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So this is uh, the newest Marvel film installment in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's directed by Destin Daniel Cretton and is the first um, major Asian superhero in Marvel, if you don't count Wong, it's going to say Major, um, and sees a martial arts-themed superhero um, who has to fight against his father, who wears a set of ten rings that make him eternal, um, and they have to go um, fight. They have to go fight for their mother's homeland, and they have to fight across America and um, China. Um, and it's the main char- character is played by uh, Simu Liu. Is that how you pronounce Simu Liu? Um, I think it's that. Yeah. Simu Liu, I think. Yeah, yeah. Simu Liu. With, um, well, with, along with the um, very well-known uh, Aquafina as uh, his friend, uh, fighting against their dad, who is played by Tony Lung. Um, now, now this is obviously the big one of the week because it's Marvel, and Marvel dominates the box office and dominates... Uh, our attention always um but i'll start off with one of us that's probably the most um disenfranchised the mcu and seems to complain about the most uh, and that'd be you brandon so what did you think about shang chi and the legend of the ten rings all right a uh, small correction it's not the first um asian-led superhero movie because we had black widow earlier this year so hey, hey. scotty hansen is suing marvel all right yeah um, yeah she is yeah yeah she is still on going 
I so um, Emma Stone. Sorry, wasn't Emma? Isn't Emma Stone still suing Marvel, suing Disney, even though she's just signed on for a new Cruella film? No, I think they sorted things out, and that's why oh, she's right. probably going to get paid okay. a fuck ton for Cruella too. Two Ella. Fair play. Secure the bag. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um. I. I saw it today, so maybe there's some recency bias involved, but I thought Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten, uh, Ten Rings was very, very good, and I enjoyed it quite a lot, um, especially in comparison to Black Widow, which I think is just very average. Um, it did something new by uh, with, with the, the introduction of you know proper, fully focused martial arts, and I think... There are de- like that, you know, it definitely gets to flex those muscles um, throughout its runtime. And I, I just, um, I thought it was really well done. And it has a good villain, which you can't always say about Marvel movies, and good action. I really like all the performances. Simu uh, Liu is really charismatic. Aquafina is good and doesn't get annoying, which a lot of these uh, comic relief sorts of characters can. And I, I don't really have many complaints, but I do have some, so we'll get to them. In, uh, later, I assume. Uh, but I thought it was really good. Okay. Um, well, yeah, we'll get back to complaints later. Um, but what were your general thoughts, Lewis? My general thoughts on Shang-Chi uh, were likewise positive. I do think it was very good. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not it's the MCU's best origin film. I do think it's up there. I don't think it's quite the best, but it's definitely up there. Um, it had... I think the, the the highlight of Shang-Chi is the the uh, fighting and the choreography, the martial arts. It was creative and the way that it was shot as well, the cinematography. Um, I think Bill Pope is a cinemat- <coughs> cinematographer on this, yeah. who did um, the Matrix films as well. Um, cinematography, the way that the martial arts is captured, particularly the scene that we see in the trailer of them fighting on scaffolding on the outside of the building. I thought that was shot really, really well. Choreography was really interesting, and it's definitely the best fight action in the MCU. Um, again, <clears throat> to echo what Brandon said, the acting is really great. Tony Leung is like an icon of Asian cinema, and he's always fantastic, and this is no different. He does play this character villain very, very well. I do think that this is one of Marvel's better villains, which isn't saying much. I am very critical of Marvel's villains. I don't think that this villain is exceptional, but it's certainly more passable than most. It's a interesting villain, at least. Um, Simu Liu made a great leading man. His chemistry with Aquafina was fantastic, really believable, and like Brandon said, I don't think that the comedy got annoying. It actually, I actually found it funny. And also, Menga Zhang, who played Shang-Chi's sister, Zhai Ling, she was a real standout for me, and I found out after watching it, this is her first film. And Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. According to her letterbox, she's never done anything else. This is her first film. And she was fantastic in it. Her, <clears throat> her fighting and her chemistry, or lack of chemistry, because part of the mm. stories about family distancing, was incredible. I thought that the the mythology around it was really, really good. The the effects on the Ten Rings, like the way that he kind of slings them down his arm and uses them as whips, I thought that looked really, really good. Um, and I do have some bad stuff, but we'll save that for when we all do the bad stuff as well. 
Okay, unless mine's all bad stuff, of course. Which yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now. Uh, but I'm not going to start this stuff now. Yeah, I thought Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings was a pleasant surprise. I really wasn't a big fan of the trailer. I wasn't very interested in the character. Now, he certainly is the definition of a B character in comics. Um, I wasn't particularly interested in it. I thought this was destined for being a kind of 6 out of 10. And I'll say I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I've often said that I'm not a big fan of action, especially in superhero films generally. Um, stuff like Captain America the Winter Soldier, um, you could, or, or Iron Man or anything, you could essentially hold up to the screen a big uh, board that says they had a fight in Captain America 1 and that would serve the same purpose to me as sitting through them fighting for five minutes. Now, this... A few other films, I would say the same thing, but this is a massive exception to that. Um, the martial arts is presents some really interesting and engaging fighting that I actually wanted to sit through for the whole time. Um, and I, I completely um, kind of enjoyed that, more so than almost any other superhero action. I thought it was choreographed excellently, and you know it, it always made it feel a lot more real. It felt like it had some stakes to it because it felt like these people were actually doing moves rather than just kind of you know, being, you know, punching hard as I can and just using superpowers and stuff. It felt like actual, you know, technique involved. Um, yeah, I thought Simu Liu, uh, who's the, the main character, that I, you know, I'm butchering the name of, um, was very strong as a leading man. I thought he was excellent and kind of announced himself as one of the MCU's new heroes in a very strong fashion that I was very impressed with. Um, I'd say Tony Lung's uh, character, it... You know, I'm not going to go spoilers, but, you know, he's, he's the dad. You know, they've obviously got very similar backstories because it's his dad. Um, Marvel always goes for starting off with a bad version of the hero. That's sort of the thing is like they, they it takes a few films for them to branch out for more creative. But it's always just like a the good guy, but bad. Um, you know, if, you know, you could look at, you know, Iron Man or, or even the good ones like Black Panther. It's the good guy, but bad. Um, and it's no different here. Um, so it's not particularly creative. Uh, however, I did think that he was just down to, I don't necessarily think the script was that strong, but I think just from the strength of Tony Lung's acting made him more interesting and mischievous. And I, I thought he was a lot more, uh, strong than perhaps, you know, the typical Marvel villain, of course, you know, that's not saying much, but Marvel aren't very good at villains. We've all said that. Um, but I thought he, he was, he was strong, especially through the performance that he put out and, and, same as you said about Falchon. I will disagree with you about Aquafina. I thought she put in a, a you know the performance that you'd expect from you know. I don't think that she did anything wrong. How? But I do think the character was a little bit too annoying. I understand, of course, these films are primarily made for kids, and she is kind of the middleman between the child audience and, and the film. Um, but I just thought it was a little bit too much, and she was a little bit annoying at points. And I did kind of think, just shut up. Um, you know, not as bad as like Cat Demi's the first Thor film or anything, but I just thought she was a little bit annoying. You know, a bit like maybe like Ned in the Spider-Man films. Like, oh gosh, shut up a bit, mate. Um, <laughs> but overall, I thought that it, you know it was it was a very strong thing. I thought the VFX was really good. Um, I think that maybe towards the end it became a little bit too typical Marvel and. You know, the, the the third act was a little bit of kind of ridiculous over top fighting that perhaps made me yeah. feel a little bit disinterested. Uh, but overall, I thought it was very strong. One of their best origin films. Um, and I will say that the sequence early on in the kind of introductory scene uh, that saw um, Shang-Chi's mother and father fighting um, 
is one of the best scenes in Marvel full stop for me. Yeah. I thought it was really well choreographed. I thought it was really well scored. I thought it was really well acted. I thought it was very, very good. Almost, almost beautiful, you could say. Uh, and the cameos that show up were very, very funny and very interesting. So a big plus all round for Shang-Chi. So what would you say on a negative point of view, Brandon? Uh, I agree with you about the um, sort of over-the-top third act I, I Marvel always does this it's it's sort of just MCU itis really um, that they feel like they have to go big or go home for the finales which I understand you know you've got to keep people interested always go bigger you know sort of natural progression or, or whatever going in I sort of was hoping it was more more so going to be a flat out like kung fu brawl because um, I feel like that would have fit the character, and I'm sort of disappointed we didn't get that exactly. But um, as well, I, I I thought, you know, without going into spoilers, when they arrive at the place where the finale takes place, they are there for a while before we actually get into the proper finale, and I felt like that was a little bit of a lull in the pacing. Um, you know, sort of quieter moments for some some late. Uh, exposition, maybe, uh, which which I, I appreciate. So it's character development; it's important, but um, sort of a, a little bit less interesting than than it was in the first two acts for me, at least. Anyway, uh, I I, I understand that uh, Aquafina's uh, Katie my, uh, character might not be for everyone, but I I don't know. I personally felt like it didn't ever get too much, and it wasn't like we see in some of the Marvel movies where it's a really inappropriate situation and someone's quipping uh she wasn't like that which you know i i just appreciate generally now and the uh yeah the the, the cameos are all good I, it, it was just a bit of a lull in that third act becoming a little bit more typical mcu than the rest of the film was which was a little bit disappointing but i was still thoroughly gripped uh to the end so not too much to complain about but i always find a way hmm would you would you echo those, or have you got different thoughts there, Lewis? Yes, I too. I do want to echo a lot of what Brendan said, but first, I want to go back to the good stuff, um, and I want to briefly mention something that I forgot, and that's the score. I think the score is really good. Thank Shang Chi. Yes, Shang Chi's yeah. theme is was recognisable, and I heard it, and I was like, "This is Shang Chi's theme. This is going to stick around for a bit." And people have been criticising the MCU's music for years now, and it feels like it's improving, and this is a big improvement. Um, but going on to the bad stuff. So how's it pronounced? Shang-Chi? I think it's Shang-Chi, yeah. Shang-Chi. 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 We've, all, we've all butchered it at least once yeah. so far. Yeah, well, I'm trying. I, at least I, well, I can't pronounce the, the main guy's name. Simu Liu? I think Simu it's Simu Liu. Simu Liu. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Um, it's okay. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> you're uh, you're part Chinese, aren't you, uh, Brandon? Yeah, a little bit on my dad's side. Maybe yeah, I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my dad up. I'll ask him. <laughs> exactly. Thanks. Um, but yes, the bad stuff, and I, I, I agree. I thought that the second act dragged a little bit, kind of messed with the pacing. Um, it did. You know, I just got a bit bored. Um. And also, I think the production design was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen because 
the place where the mum is from, Shang-Chi's mum is from, looked beautiful and the production design there was great. But then other times, it was horrific. Like the final fight between Shang-Chi and his dad is set in front of a massive black door surrounded by black caves and it just looked so boring and dull. And I, I just thought, you can Be tell... Be spoilers here, pal. Oh yeah, that's true. Although that's not really a spoiler, the fact that the villain fights the hero at the yeah. end. Um, yeah. But you can just tell that that was shot completely on a soundstage. No location, nothing. It was completely all CGI. And it was so dull and boring to look at. And I just thought, why have you set this in a really beautiful location and then had the fight take place in such a dull, ugly place? People complain about the MCU's colour grading. I don't think it's a colour grading issue. I think it's a production design issue. They set all of their big action sequences in the most dull places ever. And I just think it makes it look so boring to look at. And on a more general note, and I've thought this, the past few Marvel films that I've seen, and I've rewatched a couple recently as well, like I said earlier, I've rewatched Doctor Strange. I, I don't know whether it's just like the COVID lockdown has had this impact on me, or whether I'm just growing out of them, but I don't care as much as I used to about them. And I watch them to find out what happens, not because I enjoy them if that makes sense. I do enjoy them, but nowhere near as much as I used to. Like, I remember I was speaking to JL about it afterwards. When I watched Nomadland and Promising Young Woman and so many other films that I've seen this year, I can't think of any off the top of my head now, but I've thought about, like, Annette as well, I've thought about them, they've stuck with me, and I thought, I want to revisit that. Whereas with... Black Widow and Shang-Chi and Spider-Man and rewatching Doctor Strange, I got bored halfway through Doctor Strange because I've just got no desire to rewatch them because I know what happens and they just don't like entertain me as much as they did as they used to. And I just, it's kind of a somber realization to have that I used to love this franchise and I do love this franchise still and I'll still watch all of the films and I'm sure I'll enjoy them. But these they just feel so average now and you know the best we get from marvel is the up end of average i don't feel like they make anything that's truly great truly fantastic hopefully that's going to change because they've got chloe Zhao and nia da costa who are two directors i'm particularly looking forward to see what they do but other than that i'm just not excited to see the films i'm just excited to find out what happens and uh, a couple of other of the smaller negatives. The final. Oh, yeah, no, I just want to touch on that first. Um, yeah. I feel like that at points, and I definitely have had massive fatigue, especially at the start of, pan- of the pandemic, that I was just thinking, I just can't be asked for Marvel anymore. And especially going up to releases, I don't get excited about them as much, especially because the projects that have come out have been, you know, even the things that I really like, like WandaVision. Um, you know, it was before I went into WandaVision, I wasn't really that excited about, you know, Wanda. It wasn't like, a big deal for me. Black Widow already, you know, the plot, the amount of difference. Shang-Chi, I didn't know it. But then to different degrees, you know, I've been impressed or not impressed. But Shang-Chi, one of the Marvel films, one of the best Marvel films I've seen, I think it re- really reignited a lot of my interest in this character and the MCU overall. Uh, you know, I'll put it out here now. I think that 
every solo film. I mean, I don't just mean in Origins. Any Marvel solo film, any film that isn't a team-up, the only ones that I think were better than Shang-Chi were Black Panther and Captain Marvel. I Everything else, you know, I think this is better than Iron Man or Captain any Captain America film or... Actually, no, for Ragnarok, actually, but you can count that as a team-up. Um, but it's, it's, so it'll be, you know, fourth and it's better than Guardians of the Galaxy. For me, this really reignited my interest in the whole world, more so than even things I've liked more than it. You know, I watched WandaVision, you know, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it even more than this, you know, as a series. Um, but seeing this, it just made me think, oh, wow, they can do so much with these films. They can do so much new with these new characters and there's so many different ways to go. Everything we've seen up until now, it, this has been a long time since we've seen an original character. We've yeah. seen... Loki, Wanda, you know, Falcon, Black Widow, Spider-Man, you know, like a big team up film. It's been a long, long time since we saw something that's a completely original character, a completely new character. And seeing what they could do with this, you know, a completely different world, a completely different style of fighting and superpowers and new bad guys and new locations. That for me made me think, wow, there is potential in the series and this was excellent. Yeah. That, that's me. I, I do agree, but at the same time, I'm just reminded. You know, I, I agree this is one of the best Marvel films. Probably, you know, one of the best that they've made in a long time. I really do think this is top ten. Certainly top ten, maybe even top five. Um, but then I, I, I think about the potential that you talk about, and I'm just kind of disheartened because I know that it's going to be, you know, by the book, it's going to end with a massive CGI fight. Good guy's going to win. That's how it's going to go. And how we get there, yeah, that's interesting. The action in this is fantastic, and I'm very excited to see more of that. But at the same time, I know how it's going to go. I know that it's going to be, the next film is going to be by the book. I know that Spider-Man No Way Home, I know that Eternals are going to be slightly by the book. It's going to have a massive CGI mess at the end, and then it'll be happy ending. And that just kind of disheartens me. I'm, I'm I want something new. I want something fresh, not just from the characters, but from the writing and from the structure and from the way that these films look and the way that these films feel. You know, they feel like a product rather than a film. And I I love them, but I don't love them as much as I used to. I'm not as excited for them as I used to. And it's not just the new ones that are coming out. It's the old ones as well. Like, I rewatch old Marvel films. I remember being unbelievably excited for like Age of Ultron and Civil War and now I watch them and I'm like that was I'm just bored I don't get it you know I just I want them to change up this formula that they use and give us something new not just in the way that we get there but where we're going as well rather than giving us exciting action but the same basic structure, change up the structure and give us exciting action. And that's just, you know, it is a sad realisation because this is one of my favourite franchises and I can feel my interest in it dwindling, but not just the new stuff. It's not like, oh, I wish they'd go back to the way they used to do things. It's just, I wish that they'd change it, change it even more. I mean, 
And I think no disrespect to a massive fan base. Do you think it's just because you're growing older? Like that is what? Yeah, like forty now. (laughs) You've got a kid. Why mortgage? Do you really want to be watching Spider Man two? That is something that I thought about. I thought I don't know if it's just I'm getting superhero fatigue. I don't know if it's just because of lockdowns. I've been forced to watch. I've opened my horizons. My proverbial horizons have been opened, and. I don't know whether it's just because of that, or if it is just because I'm growing up, you know. When I was 15 and 16, I was unbelievably excited for these films. I'm 22 now, I'm 23 in like a week. I don't know whether it is just me growing up and being like, that's something that I used to love as a kid, but I don't really love it as much anymore. And that's what I mean, it's a really Mm. sad realisation to have that I'm growing up and I'm growing out of something that I love so much. So I don't know. I'm just a child because I, I don't feel it. I don't yeah. feel it. I'm really, really, this Shang-Chi is really reigniting me. And I know what you're on about with some of the later on fighting, um, the kind of the big fights at the end of the sound stage. I do, before you in- carry on, I do have something very positive about the final fight that I'll say when we do our spoilery section. So the final fight wasn't all okay. bad for me. Okay. Um, I'll say, um, I think that in general, whilst there may be one or two um, exceptions, you know, this is one of the best um, set kind of films for production design in Marvel in general for me. I think the locations in Macau, the locations in China, the locations in, um, I can't remember what it's called, the Tao, 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 yeah, Tylo, even some of the stuff in San Francisco at the beginning. The production design, I think, and this is up there with Thor Ragnarok or Captain Marvel, is looks so good. Or Guardians of the Galaxy. It looks so good, I think. Um, especially the stuff in Macau would be the standout. Um, I think that the production design here is beautiful, uh, with the exception, of course, of that final fight, which isn't so interesting. Um, but I, I thought that was one of the big standouts of the film. Before we go into spoilers, is there any other comments you'd like to make, Brandon? Uh, I, I just on the sort of burnouts because I feel like I'm sort of caught between the both of you. Uh, of uh, coming in, you said I was the most disenfranchised with the MCU at this point. I don't think that's. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think. Mis- I don't think that's the case. You're normally miserable. Like you, yeah. you kind of, That's your brand. Yeah. Well, I, I sort of, I sort of feel both of them in general. I took a few years off of MCU movies around 2017, and that was when I was like. 15 I, st- I stopped being as interested sort of like as, as Lewis said it just sort of faded out of my life and that's why I hadn't seen things like Doctor Strange or uh, even Black Panther until earlier this year um, but then I, now I also have um, I was I, I'm not typically excited I wasn't too excited for Black Widow I'm not particularly looking forward to the Eternals outside of the intrigue of Chloe Zhao directing it and the the cast is is decent, um, but I was really excited for for Shang Chi, and it's delivered most of 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 what I would have wanted ideally, and it sort of reinvigorated my interest as well because now I have a new character to sort of you know, gravitate towards, and that instead of you know just the the, the pre existing ones we've had for years now, I don't think we've had a new character introduced since Captain Marvel, which That's I. Marvel. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't particularly care for it. I know, uh, you two 
do you like Captain Marvel? I didn't particularly care for like. I, like, I don't think uh, Lewis has a standout opinion about Captain Marvel. It was me and Jordan okay, that are particularly yeah. fans. Yeah, I'm kind yeah, of just middle of the road with Captain Marvel. I think Captain Marvel is one of the weaker MCU movies for me. I didn't particularly care for. Is, Black... Do you think that's anything to do your dislike of women? I am. <laughs> I no. I no because I I really like Brie Larson and. Uh, I really wanted it to be good. I think a lot of the criticism she faced around the time that movie was coming out was completely unfair. It just didn't... Yeah. It wasn't quite there for me. I didn't particularly like Black Panther either, which isn't a great look, I realise. I don't I like... I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like these movies. Um, but... So it's been quite a while for me since since a new character's been introduced that I really could, like, sing my teeth into. And, and with Shang-Chi, I feel like that's been... Delivered. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm sort of reinvigorated because I took those few years off um, a few years back and came back sort of around Infinity War Endgame times, but I, I don't know. I, I think I'm learning just to not take these movies very seriously, which, you know, you can't, yeah, no, you can't really do. I just had fun with this. Like, I acknowledge that, like, I thought the pacing was a little bit off um, towards the, the third act in Chang-Chi, but at the end of the day, I just had a lot of fun with it, so I don't care. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I, so, I think um, I think I it's think yeah. I think I, I just think it's a bit of a balancing act, and you're gonna get fatigue because this is a relentless franchise that is only getting oh yeah man. more. Yeah, it's like three. It's, everything is popping up. It's like three shows, three movies a year, and like you can't blame yeah. anyone for finding that's why I, too much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like we've already had three shows this year and a film. Yeah. And, and we're getting, mm-hmm. and we've we're had three shows, two movies, and we're getting two more movies, and, 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 and an show. animated series, and an animated series in the middle. Yeah. So I think it's sort of a balancing act. Um, it, it's a weird time because we've obviously just ended the Thanos Infinity Stone saga, and we don't know where we're going now. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think you just have to pick and choose, and just in, try to enjoy the ride as far as these movies go, because. Yeah. They're not going anywhere because they're still going to make money. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're going to be reviewing them until uh, until we can't anymore. Until we die. Probably. Until we die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. damn, the uh, Eternals trailer looked good in it uh, on the big screen, didn't it, Lewis? Yes, that's the one. Like, this is what I mean. I'm I'm most excited for Eternals and the Marvels because Chloe Zhao. I mean, I love No Weather, obviously, I'm a massive fan of Chloe Zhao, but she's worked on tiny. Independent <laughs> films, Nomadland had a budget of five million, it won Best Picture, Best Director everywhere, and now she's got two hundred million dollars. Uh Nia DaCosta's worked on Candyman that's got universal praise. Her first film is really highly rated as well. So those are the two that I'm most excited to see because like I said, I feel like though if anyone is gonna shake up that structure that I'm getting mm-hmm. kind of bored of, I think it'll be those two. And if they can break free from it, then that will really reignite my passion for it but you know i loved shang chi and i do think it's one of the best mcu films but i think that's the limit it's a good mcu film i don't think it's a good film it's a good thorough marvel film and that's the same as all of them i don't think any marvel film has really reached you know above that above a good or a great marvel film you know there's no marvel film that i feel is as good as Annette or Nomadland or Promising Young Woman, to me, there it's like oh, it's a different 
genre altogether, even though Marvel isn't a genre. I feel like it almost is a genre. It's a group of films that all feel the same. And I think that's really hindering it for me. Oh, yeah. oh, There's a couple for I would say. I, I genuinely think Black Panther is as good as, as most films. Black Panther um, is one of the best. Considered great yeah. and, and considered good. You know, I think it's a standout picture if it wasn't, it didn't have a wider universe. And I actually remember the, the annoyed at the time that there was a post credit scene that had other Marvel characters in. It's like, oh, just stop doing the other Marvel stuff. Just have it standalone. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, you know, I didn't really understand the MCU at the time, but obviously they were going to make it connected yeah but, um, but black panther is definitely i think like i said earlier people saying is this the best solo film i know black panther is the best for me yeah it's, it's actually looking on letterboxd um on average rating the only film that's above shang chi is uh infinity war um this stands above endgame ragnarok wow. guns galaxy iron man this is this is uh, this is the second highest the two of the shows loki and wandavision are both above it as well to be fair i i, I think i agree with that to be honest it is like i said it's top five probably it's in my mm, top five i, don't know if I, I, I think i'll maybe films it'd probably be like my seventh i think it's definitely like. my favorite origin movie um from the mcu i don't particularly care for origin movies usually because it's, characters are always more interesting when they are you know sort of what you come for rather than the transition but i, yeah. I, I don't know i feel like they struck a nice balance on on sort of the the fatigue, if I could branch just a little bit off road, I think Marvel would do well to, and I think they now have the room to maybe take a page out of DC's book, which you know might sound a bit weird because why would they even bother? Mm, right, because mm. they've failed massively with a lot of their stuff. But I think with the multiverse things opening up, the opportunity for Marvel to sort of make these sort of standalone movies like what ifs like in live action and and just have them be their own sort of isolated universe where they can take whatever risks they want you know sort of do films like uh Joker or the suicide squad um because I, I don't know I feel like if you should just trust the creators you hire to do what they yeah. want to do like take the shackles off I feel like that would be quite refreshing for everyone and, and while i didn't think james Gunn's suicide squad was incredible i i i'm glad it exists because it is pure creative yeah, no, freedom agree. and i feel like marvel mm. would do well to sort of incorporate a bit of that themselves yeah i agree i agree uh, i can confirm it's sixth uh on my list of, of uh marvel films mm. okay um we're running quite late so do you feel the need for a spoiler section or do you think it's okay to wrap it up here lewis uh, we can wrap it up here. I could just say after we recorded, it's not that more important. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you can check out Lewis's Twitter. I'm sure he'll, he'll give it the uh, the spoilery thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, there. Sometime. It's only a minor spoiler. Okay, it's a spoiler, so I don't want to say it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, when it comes to ratings, now you've talked about Marvel films not being as good as normal films or whatever. I don't see how that is going to affect your rating. But you've also talked so highly about how it's one of the better Marvel films. So, Lewis, what were you thinking when you're giving a rating out of ten for Shang Chi? Well, it is difficult because I tend to rate films on a curve, like you yeah. judge them as what they are, not kind of a right one fine. flat rating. Um, so, I think. Shang-Chi is a, a solid 8 out of 10. Yep, uh, I agree. I'm going to give it 8 out of 10. Brandon? I would also go for an 8 out of 10. It's my most oh, positive episode fair. yet. Yeah. Yes. 2 8s. Yeah, wow. We do make you watch He's All That. Um, <laughs> I would love it. Okay, um, if we beat them. 
Okay, so what would you go for out of uh, Man of the Match? So there's a lot of people we go for. The director, Destin Daniel Cretton, him, a great <laughs> commanding performance. Tony Lung, great villain. He talks about the um, the uh, fighting choreography. Um, so what what are you thinking for your Man of the Match, Lewis? Uh, my Man of the Match is the person to whom the film is dedicated, Brad Allen, who is the fight choreographer. I actually didn't mention that. I thought towards the end, some of the VFX were a little bit shabby. Just towards the end. Um, oh. I didn't mention that. Um, oh, that is a good point. VFX. I have another... Yeah. Sorry to interrupt this moment of doing the Man of the Match. As long as it's quick. As long as yeah, it's, quick. it's only quick. I don't know if you thought this, but I noticed this. The Ten Rings, when they were on Tony Young's wrist, and I don't mean when they're activated and glowing, I mean when they're just lying there as bracelets... I'm 99% sure that even then they were CGI and they looked really weird for me and I really didn't like that it was CGI. I feel like it's not difficult oh, to make practical I bracelets. It, so. I didn't notice it, so therefore I can't complain about it. Fair enough. I noticed uh, it and it annoyed me. <laughs> Brandon, have you got a man in the match? Uh, I'd be tempted to go for Bill Pope. Uh, the cinematographer who's also worked with Edgar Wright on Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim. He did The Matrix, Spider-Man 2. The World's End as well, and Spider-Man 3. So, very experienced cinematographer. Mm. Um, also the production designer, Su Chan. I feel like she did uh, a really good job, but uh, I have I have a lot of bias towards actors, and I think Simu Liu did, was just so charismatic and did really well to carry this, this film on his back as a new Marvel leading man, so I'd go for him, although Tony Leung is also deserves credit for his performance as well. <laughs> I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I said that. I don't think like it was a ridiculous new um, imaginative a new script, a new character. But I think through the the acting, Tony Lung elevates this to one of the mm. the better Marvel villains. I think he's very very strong. So my man actually goes to Tony Lung, and uh, I think he was very good. Luang. I think he's very very good as the uh, the father of Shang Chi, um, who is called. Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> so very positive reviews um, and very much um, a lot of Marvel praise but then also a bit of Marvel criticism a bit of Marvel fatigue there as well so that wraps up a very three very different films well five very different films um, He's All That Cinderella Candyman Annette Shang-Chi very different films uh, that we all feel kind of yeah, to be fair it's been a very very positive episode actually the only film out of five we reviewed that's been negative has been Cinderella um so no, yeah, he's I guess all that. maybe if you're a he's all that as well. Sorry, I meant sorry, I meant he's all that, not Cinderella. Yeah. Um, so if you're a movie producer, just pay us, and we'll see if any films good because we seem to be giving you everything else <laughs> a good rating. So. We've not um, had a bad one for a while, apart from he's all that. No, not like a proper bad one. Um, well, uh, actually, to be last episode we did Romeo and Juliet. That was pretty. That's I'd true. Give yeah, a pretty damn bad review actually. So you're chatting at your ass. Yeah, that's a good really. point. Um, Apologies. Um, if you want to see you chat out your ass more, you can do so on Twitter, uh, Twitter at at ljwr underscore. underscore. You can find Brandon at very hateful guy and me at Sam H Media, and you can find my letterboxed 
at Sam Houston. You can find Lewis at LJWR, and you can find Brandon at what's what's yours on there? Uh, Brandon Bitter, still on Letterboxd. Brandon Bitter on Letterboxd. And if you want to follow the podcast, you should do so on Twitter at NowShowingPod. Uh, and you can contact the podcast uh, at NowShowingPod at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It helps us go up in the rankings. We are proud to be members of the of the Music City Drive-In Network. You can find their website with a whole host of podcasts, including our own, other podcasts about music, film, foot sports, and a whole host of articles. Uh, and you can find them on Twitter at MCDIPod. We are thankful for every single listener, and we will see you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. I hate you so much. Bye.